and he's kind. Even when we look at passages of scripture that we're looking at tonight, and they seem a little harsh, and they seem a little discouraging, God's a God of grace. And when he gives warnings, it's because he loves the church. Did you know that? He loves the church. So he gives the church warnings so we could stay on the straight and narrow path. He's a great God. He's a wonderful God. He has never disappointed me in almost 40 years of my salvation. He has never disappointed me. And even before, even before I became a Christian, I could see his hand on my life. He's a kind God, and he's kind to you. He's kind to the world. There's what the theologians call common grace. He gives, he gives grace to the world. Even the unbelieving, rejecting, hostile world, he gives grace to. In our text today, first of all, if you have your Bibles, get ready. Um, this is part two of the world's hatred of Christ and his church. We're going to be looking at John 15, verses 17 through chapter 16, the first half of verse 4. And in our text today, we read that the world, what does John mean by the world? Meaning the unbelieving, unregenerate world doesn't necessarily mean the material world. He means the unbelieving, unregenerate world controlled by Satan. That world hates what God loves. People who follow his son, Jesus Christ. The world hates. And the reason why they hate God, what God loves, is simply because they themselves don't know God. They don't know his son, Jesus Christ. And when you don't know Jesus, you can't possibly know God. Since chapter 13, if you've been following this series... By the way, I've been, John, I've been on John now for five years. you know that? Five years. That's because I preach once a month. But I did preach last week. Uh, our beloved pastor has been struggling with headaches, so he asked me to preach again this week. And just keep Pastor Brian in prayer. Um, he's just been struggling with these headaches. And, um, but he has such a great attitude, I tell you. Never complains. Never complains. So just keep him in your prayers, please. But since chapter 13, if you've been following, uh, Jesus has been encouraging his disciples with great and wonderful promises. But at the same time, he balanced those promises with strong warnings. They were going to face intense hatred and harm from the un this ungodly, Satan-controlled world as they persevered to bear witness about Christ. However... In the midst of this hatred, as they were preaching the gospel to this lost, pitiful world, they would not have to face it in their own strength or power. The Holy Spirit residing in them would endow them with supernatural wisdom, strength, and power to fulfill what God had called them to do. And that was to preach the gospel, to bear witness about Christ. And that's ditto for all the Christians from that time until he returns, which includes us. We will be hated and maybe even harmed as we share Christ with this hostile world. But the Holy Spirit, I love the Holy Spirit, will strengthen us to complete what he called us to do on every level. It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or an elder or a teacher. 
Just means whatever level he has called you to speak to someone about Christ, he will strengthen you and give you the power to do what he's called you to do. Make no mistake about that. So be encouraged. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to start chapter 15, starting at verse 17. Jesus said this to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they do, will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And this is where we'll pick up today. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this timely word. It's as relevant today as it was back then. Help us to know that we live in a hostile world, but you've given up your Holy Spirit to bear witness about Jesus. Help us to be encouraged tonight in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1979, when I worked on Wall Street, I used to take my lunch break on Trinity Place. Yes, I worked on Wall Street at one time. I didn't always work for DHL. I worked at Wall Street. And uh, it was around 1979, and I used to take my lunch break on, on, on Trinity Place. And about just about every day during my break, there was this man whose name was Al, faithfully preaching the gospel. He was a street corner preacher. And I was only saved about a year then. But I remember Al really impressed me. And Al seemed to be a very timid man. Except when he preached. There was this power behind his preaching. Powerful preaching. And the crowd would gather. And some of the crowd were very hostile towards him. And would mock him at everything he preached. They were constantly challenging this man. But Al was steadfast 
and kept proclaiming Christ. The Holy Spirit, through Al, was bearing witness about Christ in a hostile world who would have harmed him if they could. And one of the mockers was this elderly Jewish man. I'll never forget it. And this man was frequently mocking and criticizing Al and his preaching. And one day, when I got there on my lunch break, I saw this Jewish man on the floor. If my memory served me well, he had either a heart attack or a stroke right in the area where he was mocking. And one would think, hey, I better cut this out, this mocking out. Maybe what Al is preaching is true. No. He came right back and was mocking again. That's how much hatred the world has for Christ and the depth of sin in the human heart. As Paul told the church in Rome, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And after a while, someone told me that he suffered another stroke or a heart attack in the same area. Now, I can't say that for sure, but that wouldn't surprise me. I was filled with the Holy Spirit and he bore witness about Christ in a hateful world. And the proposition I want to challenge you with today is the same as last because this is part two, so it's the same series. Don't be surprised that the world hates you because it hates your Lord Jesus Christ. Last week in part one of the world's hatred of Christ and his church, we looked at points one and two. Point one was the world hates you because it hates Jesus. And point two was the world really doesn't make a distinction between you and Jesus, his messenger. In a brief review, to keep you up to speed, and I would recommend you listening to the, uh, it's online, you could re- you know, listen to part one, and I would highly recommend doing that. Um, but in a brief review, we saw that the world is hostile towards believers because we, we were chosen out of the world. We don't belong to this world anymore. Jesus took us out of this world system that is controlled by Satan. And we saw that the world hates Christians simply because it hates Jesus and his message. So it stands to reason that it will hate us because we now belong to Jesus and carry that same message. We don't carry a different message. We carry the same message. We also saw that the world really makes no distinction between us and Jesus. Did you know that? After all, we belong to him, carry the same message. Therefore, they are threatened by us the same way they are threatened by Christ. Jesus said, they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And all this hatred and persecution upon Jesus and his followers is because, simple reason, they don't know God. And the reason they don't know God is because they don't know his son, Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody fool you to say they know God when they dishonor the son. So that was points one and two. The world hates you because it hates Jesus. And two, because the world makes no distinction between Jesus and you, his messenger. Today we're going to conclude with points three and four. Points, point three is the world will be confronted with the truth about Christ from the Holy Spirit. And point four, the world desires to hurt you. Let's look at point three. The world will be confronted with the truth 
about Christ from the Holy Spirit. Let's read verses 26 and 27 again. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So this is the third time Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. The first was in John 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And the second time was in John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And now he promises the Holy Spirit again. Now when you read verses 18 through 25, which we looked at in part 1 last week, and we come to verse 26 and 27, there seems, there seems to be a break of flow in the, in the context. Verses 18 to 25, Jesus is talking about what? Hatred and persecution. You're going to be hated because of me. You're going to be persecuted because of me. I chose you out of the world. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. And now in verses 26 and 27, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And then the next four verses, verses 16, verses 1 to 4, Jesus is back to talking about hatred and persecution. But there's no discrepancy here. The world hates Christ and his church, verses 18 to 25. And the day is coming, chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, when this hatred will turn into some, to, to some physical persecution, like being excommunicated from the synagogue, and some of them even losing their lives. And right in the middle of these two passages, Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit bearing witness and his disciples also bearing witness. You see, when they go into a world of hostility, it will take the Holy Spirit to bring the truth to them. The disciples could never do it on their own. So Jesus is giving them the promise right right in the middle of the hatred and persecution verses. Okay, let's think about this. Jesus is preaching and doing great miracles. And some are believing him and becoming his disciples. But some, like the Jewish leaders, who have great influence on the common people, hate what Jesus is saying and doing. He's interfering with their cushy lives. They had their religious system nice and neat and very comfortable. And Jesus tells them, and all of Israel for that matter, it's external what you are doing. But I want to do something internal. I want to change your heart. But most didn't want their lives to be changed as we see today. So they hated Jesus and his message. They hated it. And he tells those who are his disciples that hatred and persecution is going to be turned on you when I leave. Because you are going to be my ambassadors and give them the same message I gave them. And that hatred is going to turn into physical persecution, excommunication, and death. You will not be able to bear this on your own. You will not be able to be an effective witness for me without help. So first, Jesus 
was encouraging his disciples that the Holy Spirit would bear witness about Jesus. It is the Spirit who will convict the world and would bear witness about Christ in order to bring people to salvation. It's the Spirit, not people. Not, not even the Christian, it's the Spirit. Listen to John 16, verses 7 through 11. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin because they refuse to believe in Jesus, whom the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about. He's going to convict the world of righteousness, shattering the claims of people's self-righteousness. The Spirit will bear witness of Christ's righteousness, not ours. The world, on the other hand, lacks true righteousness. He's also going to convict the world of judgment. Jesus has not been judged under Pontius Pilate and the Jewish nation of Israel in his trial. Satan has been defeated and judged by the cross. So the Holy Spirit will continually bear witness about Jesus when he is taken from the earth. But then secondly, the Holy Spirit will bear witness of Jesus through the disciples. And he says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is how the work of Christ's ministry continues today. As Dr. Carson says, the Holy Spirit joins with the disciples in testifying about Jesus to the world. You see, the disciples were not to sit back, relax, and let the Spirit do the witnessing. Dr. Leon Morris, the great Australian theologian, said... They cannot simply relax and leave it to the Spirit. They have a particular function in bearing witness in that they were with Jesus from the very beginning. There is a responsibility resting on all Christians to bear witness to the facts of saving grace. They cannot evade this. But the really significant witness is that of the Holy Spirit. For He alone can bring home to people's hearts the truth and the significance of that truth. So, as the apostles witnessed, it was really the Holy Spirit who took their witness and persuaded people and drew them to a saving knowledge of Christ. And the qualifications for their bearing witness about Jesus is that they were with Jesus from the very beginning. They heard him preach. They saw his miracles. They saw his healings. They saw him cast out demons, etc. Plus, he chose them. Now, he handpicked them to bear lasting fruit. Remember the previous verses? And I think that's fantastic qualifications. He chose them and empowered them with the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for him. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in your life, is to be witnesses for Christ. We are not here, folks, we're not here to sit and warm the pews. We're not here to have a cushy, satisfying life. We are here to go to a lost and dying world and tell them about Jesus. We're not here primarily to even worship God in, in one sense. Because if that were 
true, then God might as well take us because worship will be perfect in heaven. We're not here primarily to have relationships with each other because they're faulty here on earth, even within the Christian community. If that were the case, God would take us to heaven where our relationships with each other would be perfect. No, we're here because something we're not going to do in heaven is witness. We're here to witness to a lost and dying world the way you are witness to. And that's why you're sitting here today. The way I'm, I was witness to. That's why I'm here preaching today. But just before Jesus ascended back to heaven with his father, when his disciples were gathered in one place, Jesus said to them in Acts 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, he wasn't telling them, just go out and be witnesses. He said, wait in Jerusalem, wait in the upper room, and you're going to receive power. But as Christians now, we have that power. Once you're born again, you've been baptized in the Spirit. And you have the Spirit of God residing in you, and you have that power to go out and to share Christ with a lost and dying world. The first disciples were called to be witnesses for Christ, but not in their own power and strength. They were to do it in the power of prayer. Remember Peter? Well, that's a nice way to be interrupted in this this spirit-convicting service. Out of the mouth of babes. You know, when Jesus was preaching and they saw the children, what did he say? Let the little children come to me. So, anyway, thank God Pastor Brian was behind. He looked like he was coming to attack me. I don't know. I got a little nervous there when I saw him coming. (laughs) No, Brian, I'm not afraid of. It's the little kid I was afraid of. Little Elliot. But anyway, you know, God doesn't say go out and do this in your own power. Remember Peter? Peter was a big coward. We see that. But once he was filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened? He stood up and 3,000 got saved. The Spirit of God flowed through Peter and Peter's words were preached with the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll do the same. I'm not saying 3,000. God's not interested in you saving 3,000. He's interested in you sharing Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and watch a lost and dying world come to him. But the saving doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. He just tells us to go out and be witnesses. As a means, God used the first apostles and by extension to all believers in every generation to reach the elect among the lost. I want to read a story about the Kent News, which illustrates the point very well. Persecution is not an excuse for silence, but it does challenge us to witness, to share Christ lovingly to a hostile world in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to tell a story. A little boy named Stevie, who was quiet and shy, moved to a new neighborhood. One day he came home from school and said, you know, Mom, Valentine's Day is coming, and I want to make a Valentine for everyone in my class. I want them to know that I love them. 
His mother's heart sank at the prospect of her son's rejection. Every afternoon she watched the children coming home from school, laughing and hanging on to one another, all except Stevie, was also walked, who also, always walked behind them. But at the same time, she did not want to discourage her well-intentioned son. So she purchased glue and paper and crayons, and for three weeks Stevie painstakingly made 35 valentines. When the big day came, he stacked the valentines under his arm and ran out the door. His mother thought, this is going to be a tough day for Stevie. I'll bake some cookies and have some milk ready for him when he comes home from school. Maybe that will ease the pain of not getting many valentines. That afternoon, she had the warm cookies and milk out on the table. She went over to the window, scratched a little frost off the glass, and looked out. Sure enough, here came all the children laughing, laughing valentines tucked under their arms, and there was her Stevie. Though walking behind the children, he was walking faster than usual, and she thought, bless his heart, he's ready to break into tears. His arms are, were empty. He was not carrying any valentines. Stevie came into the house, and his mother said, sweetheart, mom has some warm cookies and milk for you. Just sit down. But Stevie's face was all aglow. And as he marched right by her, all he could say was, not one, not one single one did I forget. They all know that I love him, them. Figuratively speaking, Christ did not get a valentine, but he did not forget a single person. And we are to be like him. Lovingly, we are to go get him for Jesus. Openly, lovingly, vulnerably, and joyously. The Holy Spirit, through you and me, will bear witness about the truth of Jesus, even when we're rejected like this little boy Stevie was. He didn't care. He just cared that they knew that he loved them. Do you care that even though the world might reject you, are you still going to bear witness about Jesus even though they will reject you? Are you going to be concerned that they know that you love them and that's why you're telling them the good news? Well, how do we preach practically? How do we, I should say, how do we practically bear witness of Christ? Well, first of all, we tell people the gospel. We ask God by His Spirit to help us articulate the gospel message. We don't always know how to speak the gospel to someone. Now, I'm not saying there's only one gospel. But sometimes God will use different ways and different methods to speak to people. And we need to pray. Once again, we don't give a different message. It's about Christ's death and resurrection and His redeeming power to a sinful world. But however He helps you to articulate that is another thing. I can't tell you exactly how to tell the gospel to someone. But we do it. And we do it by His Holy Spirit. What do we bear witnesses of? Well, we bear witnesses of his death. Because we can identify it with it now. Galatians 2.20 We have been crucified with Christ. We bear witness of his resurrection. Because we ourselves have been raised back to life. We, we bear witness of his ascension. Because we are seated together with him in the heavenly places. And we bear witnesses of his love because we have experienced his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
We also bear witness by letting your life, the way you live, line up with the gospel you tell others. There are people I have seen over the years that claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but their lifestyle says, says something different. I'm not talking about perfection here. I'm not perfect. I fail. But I'm talking about people who consistently live in a lifestyle contrary to the gospel they're preaching. And people will not listen to that because of their contrary lifestyles. And I've heard people comment on other people because of the way they live. But it's only by the Spirit's power that we can effectively bear witness in words and actions. This is not a witness that we can ever accomplish in our own strength and doing. God only knows that I can't in my own strength. I'm constantly praying, praying, Lord, let your spirit help me because I can't and you can't. But with the power of God, I can confess with the apostles, I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Point three, the world will be confronted with the truth about Christ from the Holy Spirit. Let's go on to point four. The world desires to hurt you. Let's read verses 16, verses 1 through 4 again. First half of 4. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away, or they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you. You see, there was specific reason Jesus told these things to them. To keep them from falling away. To keep them from falling away. To keep you from falling away comes from the Greek word, which is the form of the verb scandalizo. And means to give offense, to cause to stumble. Now, the greatest danger the apostles faced And every professing Christian in every generation, I want you to hear this, please, is not death. The greatest danger that the persecuted people in other hostile countries that we see today, that they they, they face, is not isolation. The greatest danger the apostle or any Christian faces in the threat of execution or excommunication is apostasy. A falling away. Apostasy basically means an abandonment of faith. The reason Jesus told his disciples these things, which is all that he said in verses 18 to 27, was to prevent them from being taken by surprise and falling into apostasy when the world began to persecute them and hate them. He didn't want them to be surprised and shocked and dismayed so that their faith would never waver. But guess what? That's just... What happened to them? When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, all fled and ran away scared. They ran with their tails between their legs. Peter even denied Christ. That's apostasy. He denied Christ. But their apostasy, listen to me, their apostasy, as scholars say, was not final apostasy. It was temporal. When they were all filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, remember that? They never fell away or denied Christ again. 
It was a temporal lapse of faith. And history tells us all but John were martyred for their faith. So why did Jesus warn them about falling away if he knew that would happen? Do you ever read certain passages of scripture and you say, Jesus, for this one, for example, Jesus, you tell them, you're warning them, you're giving them, and and they still fell away. Why did you still warn them? Well, I, I think when they recovered from their temporal lapse of faith, they were strengthened in the fact that Jesus told them this would happen. And at some point, they must have thought, thought, well, Jesus did tell us this would happen. And then the Holy Spirit filled them at Pentecost. They not only remembered what Jesus said about the world's hatred and persecution, but they now had the strength to endure it. How is Jesus warning us today? What is he saying to us today? Well, the scriptures are warning us today. That's Jesus speaking to us. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through his word. The scriptures remind us to keep us from apostasy. The scriptures remind us to keep us from being surprised. Like why these things happen? He said, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. 1 Peter, the girls are studying 1 Peter. The fourth chapter, verses 12 through 13, Peter says this, and listen to this. Beloved, do not, what? Be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. See, they were being persecuted. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter said, church, I know you're suffering. Don't be surprised at this. This is not something new. This is something Christ said would happen. You see, God gave us his word, and as we read, study, and meditate on it, we are reminded and strengthened that these persecutions are a distinct possibility for our lives. And God forewarns every one of his own of the hatred and persecution we will receive as followers of Christ. He warns us in Scripture. He warned that he was physically present with his disciples, and he physically warned them, And to us, today, he warns us through the pages of Scripture. Dr. Thomas Schreiner says this, An advanced warning of suffering helps the readers to be prepared for suffering so that their faith is not threatened when difficulties arise. I remember when I first started working for the company that I presently work for, it was around 1980 time period. I was a driver in New Jersey, um, and I used to deliver to this company called Loomis. 1515 Broad Street, I remember everything about it. Bloomfield, New Jersey. Every day in the morning, I had my deliveries, because they were a regular customer, they were a big corporation, and every day in the morning, I would go and bring the deliveries, and in the afternoon, I would go back and make the pickup. And I got to know all the people in the mailroom. And I did what I always do. I used to share Christ with them. And I would share in Christ with them. And every day, I don't know for how long, I would share Christ with them. And one day, I was sharing Christ again. I was making my deliveries. It was in the morning. And there was this young man who just got out of the army, a handsome young man. He was sitting down, blonde hair, blue eyes, sitting down, listening to me very intently. 
So I was talking about Jesus. I don't remember what I was saying. This is almost 40 years ago, so I don't remember. But I remember sharing Christ. And then I turned around and looked at him as he was listening to me. And I said, do you understand that? He stood up. The veins were popping out of his neck. His face turned beet red. And he was screaming at me at the top of his lungs. I don't remember being afraid, but I remember being mortified. So I went out to my van. I had to do something. I came back and I said, you know, I didn't want to offend you in any way. And he said, no, that's all right. That's right. And all of a sudden he went back to his, you know, normal. I didn't expect that reaction from him. It took me by surprise. But I've learned a little more what to expect as Christians. So when I speak to someone about Jesus now... I'm not saying I'm going to be rejected, but it won't take me by surprise if I am rejected. It won't take me by surprise if they scream and yell at me. Don't let it take you by surprise. This is bound to happen. Not because I'm saying it, but because Christ said it. We don't have to be surprised simply because Jesus said this would happen. Now to say... We are going to be hated and persecuted by a hostile world is one thing. But now Jesus begins to describe what will happen to his disciples specifically. They will put you out of the synagogue and or kill you. The world desires to hate you. By, ex- by exclusion or killing if possible. First half of verse 2 in, in chapter 16. By exclusion... Jesus said they will put you out of the synagogues. Now to me of you in the 21st century, we might say, so what? Big deal. So we go to another church and we go to another temple. Big, what's the big deal? Well, it may not be a big deal to us today. But in Jewish antiquity, it was a big deal. It was a very big deal. To be put out of a synagogue in Christ's day was far worse than not just being able to attend a service. If you were excommunicated, listen, it meant you were cut off from not only being able to attend, but you were cut off from all religious, social, and economic aspects of Jewish society. You were labeled a traitor, not only to the people, but God. You could lose your family. And your job, yes, they feared excommunication from the synagogue. And Jesus warned them that to follow him, they should expect this to happen. It would be like you, for us in the 21st century, it would be like you losing your job and your family and being shunned by society, all because you professed Christ as Lord and Savior. Now that may not happen here in America, but rest assured it is is happening in hostile, uh, around the world, in hostile countries, as I speak. Some are suffering this right now as I speak. The world desires to hurt you by killing you if possible. Second half of verse 2. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. John uses the term hour, which is probably referring to the death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation 
of Jesus Christ. In other words, that was the turning point where the world redirects their hatred from Jesus to his disciples. During Jesus' ministry on earth, who took the brunt of the persecution and the suffering and the hatred? Jesus did. Not his disciples. Jesus did. All the apostles really didn't get this persecution. But after his physical departure, they were going to experience great harm from the world verbally, physically, and economically. You know what? All the apostles except one, all of them, history tells us were martyred. They were killed. All all but one, John. And those that killed them believed they were doing a great thing for God. They thought God was giving them the thumbs up. Yeah, great. Kill those Christians. They thought God was pleased with their hateful actions against these Christians. But what they didn't realize is is really ironic. It was the martyr that God was pleased with. This is what Dr. Carson says. He says, it is the martyr that renders worship to God. Paul was a classic example of, of one who thought he was pleasing God with his hatred and persecution towards Christians. Now, I don't have time to unfold this drama of Paul, but, but you can read in Acts 8, read chapter Acts 8 when you go home, in Galatians, the first chapter, um, it, it talks about Paul. But when Christ took hold of his life, Saul, he was named Saul before he became Paul, Saul the hater, the persecutor, the hunter of Christians, became the hated, the persecuted, and now he was the hunted. We see this clearly happening in fundamental Islam today. We see it all over the world through ISIS and ISIL. ISIS, Islamic State of Syria. ISIL, Islamic State of Levant. And we see the jihads, etc. All these, these, these radical, fundamental Muslims are killing Christians and others in the name of Allah. And they think they are doing a service for God. That's why, that's why there's suicide bombers. They will kill you if they can. If they can get away with it, they will kill you. Now, listen carefully. Following Jesus may cause you your life. Now, I I don't know when American Christianity is going to catch up to the very hostile countries that are putting to death followers of Christ. I don't know when that will happen. But not following Jesus, hear me, will cause your soul to be lost forever. It means you are siding with the lost and hateful world. Matthew, Jesus said this, Matthew 12.30, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So either you're with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. There's no such thing as being on the fence. Jesus doesn't count that as being with him. He says, you're with me, you'll gather. You're not with me, you're going to scatter. So saying, when people say, oh, that's good, you know, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But they're really not with him. They're scattering, they're not with him. They're on the side of the world. Again, why? Why do they hate Christ and his church? They don't know God, that's why. Because they don't know his son, Jesus Christ. Now once again, as I said last week, it doesn't mean everyone is going to, you know, we walk out in the street and people are going to chop off our heads with a machete. It's not going to happen. 
Matter of fact, as I read last week, Proverbs 16, verse 7, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. But generally speaking, and especially in the hostile countries, we're not experiencing it yet here. I just think that's going to end soon, but generally speaking, the world hates Christ and his church. Let me conclude with a, a synopsis of what we learned in these two parts. The world hates you because it hates Jesus. You are not of this world, you were chosen out of this world, that's why it hates you. The world makes no distinction between Jesus and you, his messenger. They're going to persecute you. But as I said last week, some will respond to the gospel that you preach to them. Praise God. And the world will be confronted with the truth about Jesus from the Holy Spirit. Through us. Through you. Through me. Through our testimony. Through our preaching of the gospel. And the world desires to hurt you. But the scriptures remind us, and Jesus told us about this, to keep us from falling away. To keep us from being surprised. But they will persecute us either by separation, exclusion, or by killing, if possible. So even though the world hates and persecutes Christians, even though they would destroy Christianity if they could, let that not stop us as believers to bring the love of Christ to this lost and hostile world. Hey, you never know. You may bring the good news to a hater and a persecutor of Christ and his church. And guess what? They come to faith in Christ and now, become his, now they become lovers of Christ and his church. Listen, Christ is not offering us, as the word of faith teachers do, comfort and ease, but a hard and narrow path that leads to life, which is well worth it. Only His grace, for you and for me and every Christian, can give us this and can accomplish this and give us the heart that will follow Him no matter what. And then we can say, with Paul the Apostle, in the midst of a hateful world, as he said in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 17, the New Living Translation says it well. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all. Or vastly outweighs them and will last forever. As we get ready for communion and I end this message, let's reflect on the biblical fact that even though the world hates Christ and his messengers, he has given us the power to bear witness of a death and resurrection which is represented in the elements which we are about to partake of. And as Marty leads us in song, let us think about the world's hatred towards Christ and his church, but of Christ's love for this lost humanity through the church, through us.